2: Welcome to Britain is a Nation Of.
1: The podcast where we explore British behaviours by unpacking statistics to understand the little differences and similarities between us all.
2: I'm Stuart Henderson, Head of News at Yahoo.
1: And I'm Matilda Long, Journalist at Yahoo. And I'm Victoria Valdez, Data Journalist at YouGov. This week, we're discussing statistics around the theme of food, from when you put milk in your tea to whether you'd eat food
2: off the floor. And we're joined by our special guest, Kimberly Wilson, a former Great British Bake Off finalist, who's also a chartered psychologist and host of the Food and Psych podcast.
3: Nice,
1: Uh, Stuart. So, the first question I'll be asking everyone today, when you make a cup of tea, do you put milk in first? Gimberley? No. (laughs) (laughs) Me neither. Victoria? Definitely not. Stuart?
2: I think these people belong in prison. Okay. (laughs) There's something something wrong here, but who does? I mean, who does? does
1: Well, So I agree with you, definitely tea first rather than milk first. But the research <laughs> from YouGov Omnibus found that one in five Brits does put milk in their cup of tea first. I know. <laughs> Scandalous. <laughs> um, so this is something where you could basically predict what someone does according to their age. So the older you are, the more likely you are to put milk in first when you make a cup of tea. So 32% of over 65s put the milk in first, compared to just 4% of 18 to 24-year-olds. And I, so is I don't this think how they used to teach you, you to do it or something? <laughs> I, I still... I don't know anyone who puts milk in first. I don't think. I know one. There's a rogue in our office. Okay. There is.
4: But her tea's really good.
1: <laughs> oh, right. I'm sorry to
4: say. Do you know what I haven't asked about because the answer will inevitably gross me out is when mm. the tea bag goes in because just the idea of, like, milky leaves, I don't want to think about it. I agree. But I know that the milk goes in first, kettle boils, water goes in after, tea comes out, and it's pretty good. The thing about it is that, obviously during the like brewing of the tea it goes from this like disgusting whitey light brown like Mm. all the way to the ideal shade and you have to just sit through it look away you know do something else with your time okay will she
2: refuse to drink or will she even know if it's been brewed another way
4: i mean it's the kind of thing where someone says they'll know i don't know if they'll know and then it's also like that versus the british manners of not highlighting it if someone's made you a cup of tea you don't
1: like you know so we'll never know really so I looked into why this might be the case that people put their milk in first. And the theory is, so I've come across this before, um, which is that in the past, your china cups would crack if you put boiling water in first. So people put the milk in first so that the water wasn't too hot. You didn't break your crockery every time you made a cup of tea. Um, but I also found that people with more expensive china didn't have to do this because theirs was a bit sturdier. They could just put the hot water in first. And this makes sense. Um According to former royal butler Grant Harold, he said earlier that the Queen always puts the tea in first, there you go. and then the milk second. And who are we to decide <laughs> what the Queen wants? Exactly. So my question to Kimberly: Why do people feel so strongly about this? We we all said we all had a definitive answer. Why do we care so much about how we make our cup of tea? Well, I, I don't think it's just
3: tea. I think food is fundamentally <laughs> emotional. Like we mm-hmm. all have very strong feelings about food. Um, and as a nation, as a okay, as humanity, we're kind of obsessed with food. It represents so much to us and we imbue it with so much symbolism. So if you say, oh my God, the way you make tea is disgusting. Actually, you mm-hmm. might be saying the way your family makes tea is disgusting. <laughs> or there's something Ooh, that you've West been case. taught which is wrong. Mm. So it's it's really symbolic of much, much more than just the food on the plate or the tea in the cup
1: Mm, that's true I don't I don't think I would I would find it very difficult to tell someone if they'd made me even tea or especially a meal if they would made me a meal and I didn't like it the way you cook is disgusting (laughs) imagine if it was you know a family recipe something that's been passed down but you just thought it was a bit revolting because
3: food's really personal right and Mm. if I think something's delicious and you kind of Sneer and turn yeah. your face up of it. It kind of says something about me or my taste. So mm. it's it's much more personal than just just the food. Mm.
2: My um I was at dinner recently with my wife at a friend's house, and um they made uh, something I can't actually remember what it was, but I didn't mm. like it. And Helen said to me, My wife said to me, You're just gonna have to eat it. I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I was like, like I'm really child. sorry, I don't like this. <laughs> the rest is lovely, but I won't be eating this. I wasn't quite as blunt as that. <laughs> but my, what you can see my wife just sinking into her seat, and it's like a perfectly normal thing to do. Why, yeah. why, why? You know, why shouldn't I would eat you, something?
1: Would you think about lying and saying you were allergic or it's something that you couldn't
2: eat? I think I used to do that. Mm, so when, particularly when we started going out and seeing making new friends and stuff like that, but I feel far <laughs> more comfortable in myself and the friendships I have to go. Do you know what? I really, I really don't like that. Um, and I I'm not going to lie because you'll just keep giving it to me over and over again <laughs> if I go completely over the top and go this is amazing this is so nice oh do you really like that <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. but
4: then I think when it's something like tea that is so sort of quintessentially British and part of British culture as well that you can imagine like I was travelling recently and tried a, a sort of a baked good that everyone had everywhere it was sold all over the place and the guy at the bakery sold it to us and was like here you go and we said we've never had it before and it was vile it was Ooh. so disgusting but I, I really couldn't feel like i could show that because it was like a quintessentially italian it was an italian thing you know mm. and at that point i was just like it would i feel like I'm, I'm being rude to your whole culture if i am now like this is gross and so we just sort of had one bite we're like mm, <laughs> <laughs> thanks we'll take this to go it. Save <laughs> it all Later. yeah um so i feel like it's sort of it's a bigger deal mm. when it's something as sort of staple as as a cup of tea yeah.
2: but why are we so hung up on tea i don't i, don't, I really don't get it where does it come from uh, <laughs> question
1: in history. And people, so British people also, I think, very particular about how they have their tea. Mm. So there's another YouGov survey which asked people, um, it basically gave a range of colours from white <laughs> to black and asked how people had their tea. So only 3% of Brits have their tea black. Fine. Lots of people can't drink milk. Do whatever you want. But 1% <laughs> chose a colour that it just looked like a cup of milk. <laughs> and that I found much more offensive. <laughs> but the, the favourite colour was, I think, a kind of golden standard in the middle, which you'd expect. So my survey actually goes quite well with
4: yours because it's about biscuits.
1: goes very well.
4: Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, so this survey was about the nation's favourite biscuit. And uh, well, actually, first, let's go around. What are the favourite biscuits in the room, Kimberly?
3: Ooh, I like a bourbon. <gasps>
2: so happy you want a chocolate bourbon <laughs> too. I've given this question a lot of thought and I felt like I had to have a fancy answer, but I genuinely always came back to chocolate bourbon. Mm, always. That's fine,
1: just be yourself, you know, don't worry about it. Yes. I've a bit more of a left field choice. <laughs> My favourite biscuits are Speculo's, which are the sort of spicy Belgian biscuits. And you I also it. get them in hairdressers quite often. And they're delicious. You get them in hairdressers? Yes. <laughs> when you get a cup of tea and a biscuit in the hairdresser, they often give you a lotus biscuit, which is a yeah.
4: Speculo's. Have you not just
1: always been going to the same
4: hairdresser?
1: This has definitely happened in more than one place, I think. (laughs) Fair enough. Possibly not. Well, the
4: nation's favourite biscuit. Uh, Any guesses? It's quite predictable. Custard cream chocolate digestive solid choice (laughs) (laughs) we actually have on the top 10 list of the nation's favourite biscuits three different forms of digestive so Mm -hmm. the McVitie's milk chocolate digestive is number one and then uh, Cadbury milk chocolate digestive is number five and the original digestive is number 10 so McVitie's actually dominates the list uh, in that Jaffa cakes are also number four which are made by the same company I was also looking this up and there's a factory in Stockport that makes 4,000 Jaffa cakes a minute what? What? Yes. I know. There is a video Let's that you there. must watch. Okay. <laughs> Take the podcast really on tour. To <laughs> that would be, I think, essential. Um, and then Cadbury's are the other winner who have, yeah, milk chocolate digestives, mini rolls, chocolate. and mini fingers. Yes. Mini fingers. Oh no, also normal fingers. All the fingers. We um. have very similar
2: biscuit tastes, Kimberly. <laughs> Absolutely similar. The
4: corner of quality over here. Yeah.
2: Exactly right.
4: So there you go. Those are those are the nation's favourite biscuits. Um, also doesn't feature. Sorry. That's an outrage. Do we, I, I mean, I'm, it's not even on the top 20. Is
2: that is that top 10 like, <laughs> would that have been basically the same about like, 20 years ago? Are there, it doesn't feel Very like, possible. from what you said, that there's many kind of like, recent fatty, like, <laughs> <light> spectacles. <laughs>
1: They're not they're old yeah, fashioned. Sure. But I more like cookies and more American mm. sweetie things, I would think mm. people would. No, this eat is more a solidly now. British list. <laughs> yeah.
4: Next one's down to shortbread as well. Walkers is on their Highlander's shortbread pure butter shortbread
1: fingers. We're we're traditional about our biscuits. Well, controversially, uh, jaffa cakes. Not a biscuit. Not a biscuit. Not a biscuit. The baking expert is saying <laughs> it's not a biscuit. Do you make these, Kimberly? And are they a cake? Ooh, yeah. uh, no, I hate Jaffa cakes.
3: Oh. <gasps> I thought we'd just warm them out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I have a very specific way of eating a Jaffa cake. Like, I really do as well. What's I'm, that? I'm a, a nibble around the orange. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Remove the uh, spongy base. okay. Chocolate orange in the mouth. Allow the chocolate just to gently melt. And then you're just <laughs> left with this beautiful sliver of oranginess. Correct. It's correct.
1: Like a moment. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> you're so recited,
1: but, like it's a recipe as <laughs> well. Like. It's not even
2: like I need to think about it. That's just muscle memory that does that every time <laughs> I, it, I will just do that i don't think i've ever eaten a short uh, not for years eaten a jaffa cake in any other way i'm very but it very must have been ridiculous. a
4: tried and tested process you must have eaten it in like a bunch of different ways and then been like oh, this is this. that is sounds like a very much a childhood way of doing yeah. it like
2: yeah, i'm very conscious of that, yes. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> and childish, i know what this says about th-
3: this me This is where it started.
2: <laughs> i think i've just evolved to find the best way of eating jaffa cakes and that's uh, definitely true
1: <laughs> would you dunk a jaffa cake no
2: no okay no, good in, in nothing Cute. oh this is
1: great as well
4: there was another survey which isn't actually a yougov omnibus survey but one that i found out about online from 2009 which said half of britons have hurt themselves while eating a biscuit because they'll half. put it in the tea and scald their fingers. Very nice! but interestingly jaffa cakes were the least dangerous in that i guess probably the least people actually dip it in tea or i don't know you're just more careful god
1: knows
2: it's a very quick anyway. dip i imagine with a, a jaffa cake yeah. as well
1: i wouldn't know because it's not a biscuit, <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh,
2: so orange, orange and tea is weird as well. I wouldn't. Yeah. I I go there. And there
3: should be like a little hierarchy of dunkable biscuits, shouldn't there? Like, <laughs> because a rich tea is, is quite a risky choice. Because because of the mushy <laughs> poor dunkability, it's more likely to kind of. Well, apparently apart. custard cream is the most dangerous. It's where oh, really? the most people
4: hurt themselves. Yeah, because they crumbled apart. I'm just saying this is a call out, you know, it's a public safety announcement. Quite small. Yeah, there there is that too. Yeah. Now, if you had a Bourbon. (laughs) More surface area.
1: Has anyone had a Tim Tam? Yes. What is these like? (laughs) So So we have we have an Australian colleague. Tim Tams are sort of like the Australian version of a penguin. They're two biscuits and then a chocolate covering. Mm. And in Australia, they do. They do a very weird thing with Tim Tams where you bite off one corner and then you bite off the opposite corner and you <laughs> drink your tea through the Tim Tam
3: really? oh, wow. by sort
1: of sucking it up. That would definitely burn your tongue. You'd think.
3: Tim Tam slam, isn't it? Is that the one? <laughs> <laughs> Tim. Like, yes, I know it well. <laughs> I understand all the biscuit. History. <laughs> I've so
4: never I guess- tried it. The question we've got for you on this Mm. one is just why is it that biscuits are so addictive? And I guess there are other foods like this as well where you have one and you can't stop yourself from having a couple
3: more. Um, I think there's, there's a lot that goes into this. So often... Biscuits are a treat food. They're something that we don't have very often. And so it kind of heightens the enjoyment and the pleasure of them. And we kind of, what we really want is the pleasure and Mm. the deliciousness. Um, There are ways in which uh, these sweet foods can really, I mean, all food kind of lights up our reward centers with sweet foods and sugary things. And Mm. particularly if they link back if we have some nostalgia with them, if they were the thing that we had when we were young, um, can just make us feel soothed and comforted. Yeah. So often it's not necessarily the food, it's the feeling that comes with it. But also, and th- the other thing is that if you do restrict something, if you say, oh, I shouldn't eat biscuits, I shouldn't have this, then you're much more likely to crave them and you're more likely to right. overeat them. So it's actually much Forbidden better fruit. just to be like, I can have it if I want to, if I don't, that's all cool. And then, you know, there's no need to worry about going
4: wild it's funny as well because as i when i was looking into this i found this old digestives ad which uh, basically just had a big picture of digestive in the middle and it sort of was made to look like a clock and then at the top it says something like when's the right time for a digestive and it's basically like all the time and <laughs> it goes from 11 a.m to 11 p.m and it's like 11 a.m in the morning with your breakfast 12 p.m just before lunch for a snack 1 p.m with lunch 2 p.m after lunch like, and it's interesting because it just made me think about also just like habit and eating Mm, you know and how um, very often it won't necessarily be that you really want that food or that taste or whatever but it's just you're used to it at 2 p.m you your body expects a bit of
3: sugar and you get this kind of anchoring effect where if you always or you usually have tea and a biscuit Mm. even if you just fancy a cup of tea there will be an urge to have a biscuit because those things come together in your mind so it can be kind of just habitual absolutely
1: I've definitely suffered from that. that <laughs> you can't have a cup of tea without a biscuit to mm. dunk in. It's
2: interesting what you say about the childhood thing, because uh, as you were saying that, I can suddenly had a very distinct memory of being at my granddad's house and him having that classic biscuit tin. And it was always filled with bourbons and custard creams. Right. And I remember I'd always like have sneak in and get extra biscuits. And he'd always <laughs> see me and go, shh, I won't say
3: anything. He was a great
2: granddad. And I have really happy memories of chocolate bourbons. That's one of my strongest memories of, of my old granddad's house
4: wow
2: he didn't have jaff cakes so i don't know so they're just yummy
0: (laughs) (laughs) when you make decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off usps and ups Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Confidence starts with loving who you are.
2: Which takes us, I think, nicely onto my survey, or whether or not you're actually prepared to eat food off the floor. (laughs) I would say, categorically, we've all done it. Correct. I think.
1: Don't know what you're talking about.
2: <laughs> would, would any of you definitely? Can you say definitely, your hand on heart, you've never done that?
1: I've definitely eaten food off the floor. Of course, it depends on the food and it depends on the floor. So,
2: <laughs> if true. it's
1: your own kitchen floor that you've just cleaned and you drop on something something hard like a biscuit, <laughs> that's fine. But if you drop something sloppy onto a dirty carpet, then I don't think I would eat that. <laughs>
2: I hope I would. Well, no, we'll, I wouldn't. We'll come back to the carpet thing because this is the most interesting thing, but we'll come back to that later. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, according to you, Gov Omnibus, uh, only one in three Brits would refuse to eat something that's fallen on the floor. I think that's quite surprising. There's some nice stats around there as well. Uh, the actual question was how long would you leave it on? the floor before you pick it up mm. um i'd say broadly speaking younger people appear to be a little bit more gross on average <laughs> men are a little bit more gross than women no great surprises there but when they broke it down so they asked "By like, wouldn't eat it at all one second two seconds what do we think was the tipping point how many seconds do you think most people said yeah, I'll do
0: that.
4: The thing about this is that whenever I've been around someone who's dropped food on the floor, they just make up like an X
1: second rule.
0: For <laughs> sure. how They're
4: like, yeah, but there's the four second rule. That, yeah, it's a seven
1: second rule, obviously. <laughs> the one I think it's the three second rule. That's what I've heard people saying, apart from when they stretch it because they want yeah. to eat their delicious snack that they've got on the floor. <laughs> i push it to five. Yeah,
3: three or five is usually
2: the... It, it was really split between three and five, but no. th- the final answer was five with... There's 16% of people saying they would eat something off the floor that had been there for five seconds. Surprisingly, one in 10, 11% of people would eat something that's been on the floor for more than 10 seconds. That's quite a long time mm. to look at a bit of food, have a think about it, <laughs> and
3: eventually go... That's way up the merit. Yeah, yeah, okay,
2: I will. Um, so if we, if we think it's ten, five seconds, that kind of makes sense. Done a little bit of research into this, Mm -hmm. and what we basically need to know is is it okay? Yeah, (laughs) and why why do we do it? So in 2014, Aston University did a little bit of research into this, and according to Professor Anthony Hilton, he basically told everyone exactly what they wanted to hear, which was, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's kind of okay. Um, he said that as long as it's not sort of really dirty or obviously contaminated, basically knock yourselves out. (laughs) Uh, the two significant factors they found, though, were that. The time is a significant factor. So the actual, the amount of time you leave it is relevant. It's not like it falls on the floor and it, the germs either sort of jump on or don't jump on. <laughs> um, but they also tested the type of flooring. And this was the most surprising thing. They said that bacteria was least likely to transfer from carpeted surfaces. What? Oh, wow. And most likely to transfer from laminate or tiled surfaces.
4: That's for so For foods weird. that
2: have been there for five seconds. Which feels really, really not intuitive, mm. and kind of explains why, I think, why we do this. There was a bit more research into why we get into this, why we kind of think it's okay to drop something on the floor and just pick it up and eat it. And I think, I don't know if anyone, I hadn't heard of this. Heuristics, is this a, is this something to people? I don't know, I've never heard That's of heuristics. Rules of thumb. Basically, rules of thumb, yeah. So it's basically how we make data assessment or risk assessments on a day-to-day basis, which involves this kind of something very small happening. You don't essentially don't have time to go, what's going to happen if I do this is going to, it might give me salmonella poisoning. It might give me <laughs> you, you just make basically a rule of thumb rule. You have a little bit of sort of personal experience going, well, I, I saw someone else do it and they've not died. So, <laughs> right. so that's kind of okay. And the reason why it's interesting is because that's how we live our lives all day, every day, right? Mm. We make these mm. tiny risk assessments. So the, basic point is keep eating food off the floor for for humanity's sake because it's what keeps us going on and we shouldn't
4: waste food right gotta save the planet
2: gotta save the planet and yeah it's with my children it's one of the things i crack down on them harder than anything else it's it's really interesting
4: and would you be equally as likely to eat something off the floor in front of someone else
2: there is a public shame thing there going on i think um and i guess it goes back to your Emo, uh, sort of the, the emotional relationship thing we have with food where you feel a little bit more vulnerable and stuff like that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, they also tested uh, a separate test in 2016 where it was it was Professor Donald Schaffer at Rutgers University in New Jersey. He poured a little bit of cold water on the previous survey, but they kind of came to no. similar conclusions. <laughs> and they they tested watermelon bread, buttered bread and uh, strawberry sweets, uh, which do you think was the worst to drop on the floor?
1: Sweet the s-
3: Ooh, Really? Yeah, because you drop it and it'd be wet and then you like, it's soak everything up. Yeah. It. Yeah, I
4: thought the sticky things though, like butter true. or jam would definitely,
1: oh, I'm just, that. I'm now just yeah, picturing yeah, it all on a carpet I'll as well as like the cleanest one.
2: Watermelon bread, buttered bread and strawberry sort of gummy bear sweet things.
1: I'd have thought oh, sweets because oh, right. they're sticky, but that's.
2: And you would both be wrong and Kimberly would be absolutely right. Wow. Because the it kind of, it sort of soaks it up, yeah. sort of, oh. extracts like it out of
1: <laughs> off the floor, but
2: not out of the carpet, interestingly. Uh, they, they also found that the surface was um, perhaps more important than the amount of time right. that, you, that you leave the food on the floor for. Um, but then I wondered, so we, we obsess about what's on the floor, what we eat, what we <laughs> don't eat. I also wondered what we kind of go around our daily lives, quite happy to put in our mouths but don't really give it a second thought. And <laughs> I found out some <laughs> lovely things. Oh, dear. So, where should we start?
4: <laughs> Are we still talking about
0: food? We're still, <laughs> <laughs> we're still
2: talking about food. So, um, there's been a couple of pretty horrible things in the news recently about this. Uh, the first one, uh, what, which I saw, was um, it was earlier, uh, earlier last year, I think it was, uh, sort of summer last year, an um, uh, investigation by BBC found that ICE... From three of our major coffee chains uh, was found to contain fecal bacteria.
1: <laughs> I remember that.
2: Um, I won't say which they are, but Cafe Nero, Starbucks, and Costa. <laughs> <laughs> I <that> bit out. <laughs> um, and then the uh, other interesting thing was the survey, it was a bit further back in 2012, but I think it's probably just as true now, uh, which is that in some cases, um, because so many people essentially don't wash their hands after they go to the toilet <laughs> the amount of germs on our hands are basically the same as you'd find in a dirty toilet bowl uh, <laughs> faecal bacteria they found is present on 26% of hands in the UK 14% of banknotes and 10% of credit cards
4: if only Kimberly's Aww. face was visible on the podcast it's, right now <laughs> it's horrible
2: now, now this is obviously very personal stuff and this is, this is a sort of a personal responsibility issue but it's worse than that Acor- <laughs> according to the Food and Drug Administration in the United States. Here's a couple of examples of things that they say are absolutely fine to put in your mouth and ingest. So, according to FDA regulations, 500 grams of berries, frozen berries, blackberries, raspberries, whatever, you can have an average mould count of 60%.
1: 60? (laughs)
2: 60%.
1: I'd
4: like to get some expert input from... That's more mould than berries. For...
2: Fro... Average for curry powder, let's take curry powder, an average of 100 or more insect fragments are allowed per 25 grams of curry powder. That's like less than one of those little jars you get in the supermarket. That's
4: about also that they don't mer- measure this in just insects. It's like That's insect fragments, fragments <laughs> like a wing here, like there.
2: And my favorite one, <laughs> my last one, is that 500 grams of canned mushrooms or dried mushrooms are allowed an average of 20 or more maggots of any size. Any size maggots. <laughs> in one of those little packets of, of mushrooms, right. which is horrifying. <laughs> a right? mushroom...
3: I rebuke that. <laughs> but, but,
2: but we do this every day. We eat, we, and we do eat... I'm sure, I'm sure loads of Americans eat like 20 maggots a day or 20 <laughs> maggots a week, and they're fine.
1: So just to clarify, these rules are for the US, not the UK? <laughs> these
2: are for the US. But if we do do a, a little cheeky trade deal with the US at some point in the future, then we will be importing these 500 Maggot grams of, of dried mushrooms uh, and the 20 maggots that come... Snugly tucked away inside them,
1: <laughs> you wouldn't be able to complain to anyone about that because that's perfectly permitted. You've eaten a maggot,
2: <laughs> absolutely fine. It's <laughs> like the learning day.
4: here is that we think more things are gross than are actually bad for you, right? True. Like eating yep. stuff off the floor or eating a maggot in your mushroom. We are now like ugh, but actually, the people who know what they're talking about are like yeah.
2: I have a very um unscientific approach to this sort of thing, which <laughs> probably is born of laziness which is that if you do this, then it kind of builds up your immune system, it, it feels to me like it kind of makes sense. Uh, so my question uh, for Kimberly mm. uh, is why, why do we think that things gross us out more than others? Like if you look at a perfectly clean floor, and you, you kind of just whip a crisp off there or something and stick it in your mouth. <laughs> and yet you know that you've not washed your hands, and you're going to sit down and have a dinner like, Clearly, one is going to freak you out more. What's 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 going on? That's yeah. Good question,
3: and, and it's actually quite complicated. So, on one hand, we have this. We think it's innate; it might be learned, but certainly it's shared across cultures. This disgust response, um, and so there's an automatic way in which certain things will just make us go. Mm. And you know, there are some obvious culprits. You know, bodily fluids, one <laughs> kind of those, yeah. um, and things like uh, small insects. So you know and small animals so mice rats cockroaches tend to elicit this kind of disgust effect um things like uh kind of something that looks like it's going to have some sort of infection so open wounds and weeping sores and all of that sort <laughs> of stuff brings up this disgust mm. response and we think that that's an evolutionary kind of protective mechanism to prevent illness so when you see something that's disgusting you withdraw you pull back you're less likely to touch it or engage with it and you're less likely to become ill the other half of that is that we have these learned responses so in the UK it's unusual for us to eat crickets or insects but huge parts of the world Mm. do and Mm. that's just a cultural thing and they don't find it disgusting at all it's just a food source so there's a kind of learned aspect to it as well and then I think there's a little bit of a kind of um I don't know if we call it narcissism, but there's an idea that my own germs aren't as bad as somebody else's germs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you kind of feel like, oh, my own dirty hands are all right, but somebody else's dirty hands mm. is, a, is a completely different thing. And again, that might be about that risk of exposure to to illness.
2: So when so the, the, the whole idea of eating insects, I think it's something that you see, you see crop up in the news every now and then and it's normally accompanied with, like, uh, we'll all be eating insects in, like, 50 years or 100 years or whatever, a great source of protein and stuff. Do you think we'll get to the point in this country where, we like, having a starter of crickets is not a, not a weird thing?
3: Yes. Well, but I think Sainsbury's I think- have just launched in 100 of their stores <laughs> there <you> some, go. <laughs> of, right. some cricket snacks, so it, it's already here. And I think, yeah, the argument is that a, yeah, it's a sustainable source of protein, mm. and we can't keep on eating animals to the, the levels that we are. Um, we kind of just need to get over it. Everybody else is eating crickets, so <laughs> you pull yourself together. But also, there's an argument that it can diversify because it's a different kind of food source. It might help diversify the gut microbiome. So, you know, it's kind of win 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 once you get over that learned disgust response.
2: So, we, have you eaten crickets? Like I, you, I've,
3: I've eaten, I've eaten like mealy worms, things, I think, merely well. Buggy things. I think, yeah. At a food expo. What mm. were they like? Just crunchy. It was barbecue flavour.
2: Nice. Barbecue sauce can't cure. <laughs> will we include maggots in that eventually, do you think? Or is that uh, a slightly. That's they'd be
1: cooked, wouldn't they? So They've I think the thing roasted, with maggots yeah. is that they're slimy and wiggly. But if they're cooked yeah, like we were squid and snails and stuff. That's true. Slimy's fine. But I think people's. If you th- look at what people eat on a day-to-day basis compared to 100 years ago, it's entirely different. So I think it's completely plausible that we'd start eating something that at the moment people find really strange, not in a particularly long space of time.
3: But even 70s food looks a bit weird and (laughs) disgusting. You know, all that blancmange and Mm. weird gel glazes. You know, that feels a bit disgusting now and that was only a few decades ago. We actually
4: did a survey fairly recently for YouGov which was about uh, the foods that are most likely to go extinct in the near future and it was so interesting because it was mainly things like, I thought of it because you said blancmange, that was on there, but then also lots of like parts of meat that we don't eat anymore like tripe and offal and this kind of stuff uh, spam corned beef like the kind of thing that actually if you look into the history of was out of an idea of like using every part of the animal or like food that you can uh, store for a long time whatever it might be but people didn't think it was disgusting it was mm-hmm. totally fine but if you look now it's absolutely a generational split and you have almost no one who is you know under the age of 30 something or so who has eaten that ever in their lives mm-hmm. um, and people who are in their 60s 70s now have eaten it a lot but definitely also not in the last few years it's mm-hmm. just kind of off the menu. And there, if you look at why that's happened, I, from my personal perspective, I would imagine that it's a, it's a socioeconomic change. Like the, 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 the politics of food has changed and the availability of food has changed and the need to store food for a certain amount of time has changed as well. But the interesting thing that I think might happen is that maybe our attitudes will flip back where we went from must use every part of it out of necessity, economic necessity, to us now saying must be more careful about our consumption of food Mm -hmm. from an environmental perspective, you know. Um, It's hard to
2: make those, because they're essentially kind of like political choices, right? Mm. And if it goes back to like gut reaction, it's quite hard to challenge gut reaction with political discourse. That seems like there's only going to be one winner in that. And therefore this kind of evolution will by definition therefore be quite slow. Mm. And like, I I love cooking shows. I watch most of them. And I'll watch show and so on whatever show do oh, I've cut all different types, Use all the different types of cuts of meat for this dish. Mm. And I go, I should definitely be doing that. That looks lovely. And yet I've never done that. And yeah. I almost certainly never will do that. I don't know why <laughs> that is. Do
1: you think it's because of supermarket shopping? So I think now eating sort of interesting yeah, parts true. of animals you mentioned it being a socio-economic thing. That's now flipped round. It's now a sort of quite fashionable restaurant thing to eat these interesting parts of an animal. And you can't buy them in supermarkets. You buy them from butchers. Mm-hmm. Most people don't shop like that anymore. It's now quite a privileged thing to go to a specialist meat butcher and even have the education to, well, even know about the things that you can buy. It's now... Wealthier people, whereas it used to be just an economic necessity.
2: No. That's true. And maybe the reason I don't is I don't know how to cook it. And anyway, whereas <laughs> I went to butcher's, I'd go, How do I cook this? And he'd true. go, Like this. I'd be like,
1: Thanks. I've eaten a chicken heart at a mm. restaurant. Was it was disgusting. Like? And I'm now a vegetarian. Not for that reason. <laughs> but maybe it's connected.
2: <laughs> is your uh, vegetarianism like, uh, is that a tasting or is that a political thing or is it an environmental thing or?
1: Yeah, generally environmental and also not never been a big meat eater, so I don't particularly find it that difficult.
2: So would you find the leap to like crickets and grasshoppers fine?
1: Yes. I'm not very squeamish, that sort of thing. I'd happily... Eat. I've tried mealy worms as well and they're just crunchy and just they're crunchy. nice. I think they just tasted <laughs> of black pepper. So quite liked it. I'm game.
4: <laughs> but So, Kimberly, what do you think in terms of how like that overcoming that disgust response how does that happen when it's not a matter of necessity of the world around you things are changing around you so you need to adapt but actually just an internal barrier you need to get over how how could that happen
3: um it can be a little bit tricky because actually some people are more sensitive to the disgust response than others yeah um so some people are just more prone, more squeamish, you know, the kind of person who can well, watch a horror movie behind the sofa versus <laughs> someone who can just sit there eating popcorn, laughing hysterically. Who's like, <laughs> <So you're>, eating mealy <laughs> worms. <laughs> um, so there's a kind of constitutional element to it as well. Also, there's an age uh, shift as well. So uh, what you were saying about your kids, trying to mm. get them to not be so gross. <laughs> Actually, children don't really have that much of a gu- uh, disgust response right at the beginning. That's very
2: true. <laughs>
3: Picking up worms. And we <laughs> think that's because well, A, they don't really know, but B, they're usually close to a parent and the parent, it's the parent's job to Mm. tell them what's okay and what's not. As soon as they hit about two and they can start moving for themselves, that's when we see a disgust response increasing. Um, Women tend to respond uh, to, to be more sensitive to disgust as well. So there's all of these little factors. So there's kind of taking into consideration that innate constitution, but also there's a little thing like kind of exposure. So the first time I ate those bugs... It wasn't fun and I wasn't Mm -hmm. looking forward to it, but I thought, you know, lots of people do this all around the world. The only reason I don't is because of the particular civilization I've been born in. There was a bit of kind of cognitive working through of that. And then just, you know, pop it in, pop it in, (laughs) give it a chew. (laughs) Not as bad as you think. It was all right.
2: Do we need to make a commitment to cooking bugsy stuff within like six months then for the good of humanity?
4: I mean, if they're in Sainsbury's, Sainsbury's. now I feel like I'm behind the times. (laughs)
2: But in, within six months, everyone might have forgotten that we've made the promise. <laughs> true. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll commit to doing that.
1: I'll commit. Me too.
2: Fine.
0: <laughs>
1: so from what we've been talking about, when it comes to food, what is Britain a nation of?
4: Digestives think- loving food off the floor eaters.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we also, we all have very strong responses to biscuits and tea. It's true. I think that's a pretty universal thing. I think we're definitely a nation of biscuit dunkers. Do you know what
2: we're going to be doing? We're going to be dunking our grasshoppers into our tea <laughs> and arguing over our favourite type of grasshopper in like 100 years. Barbecue grasshopper. Oh, no, that's disgusting. Oh, no, that was so
1: 2070s. Um,
2: and we're having the same conversation. I hope so. Just around bugs.
4: Future cricket dunkers. Yes. Britain is a nation
1: of future bug eaters. Great.
2: Great. I think.
1: Thanks for making it all the way to the end of Britain is a Nation Of.
2: How can they get in touch, Matilda?
1: You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo News UK, or you can find us on Facebook under Yahoo UK and Ireland, or email us on Yahoo News UK at oath.com. And join us again for another deep dive into very British behaviours.
0: Hi. Hi.